If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. Man, so this was a this was another treat for me. There's a little Sal boner going I know, on. I love right? it, man. It's I could feel it from over here. You know, I could see it from here. I he's Rich Gaspari. So we just had a po- uh, podcast with uh, Rich Gaspari. Now, Gaspari was one of the top bodybuilders of the 80s, but then he got into the supplement business in the 90s and- And smashed it. Brilliant. Brilliant well, marketing. A lot of people are going to wonder, like, why would we even bring somebody like that on the show because of our stance because of our stance on supplements and here it wasn't about uh what supplements work for you you know i i I had no desire to get into debates about branch chain amino acids or what i think about promoting pro hormones or anything right right definitely talked about but but it's important to talk to somebody who is one of the pioneers in the space man that he's 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 partially responsible for uh, where it is today, man. I mean, he was absolutely. one of the first one of the first guys to sell uh, the designer steroids when they were legal. Um, and he talks about he's very honest. He's very open about everything. Yep. The way he Gaspari is one of the key people to create the pre workout market. So all the the massive market of supplements that makes up now the pre workout market, which are some of the top sellers in if you know whatever you want to call them performance supplements. That market almost did not – it barely existed at all until people like Rich Kaspari came out. And, I mean, just brilliant marketing. It was brilliant marketing. It was brilliant product. Um, and it exploded and, and made his company huge. And so we, we talked about that. We talked about the marketing behind it. And then I had no idea that he had gone through some financial issues and, and, and some personal issues and how he wasn't even full owner of his company oh, so for great. a while. I, you know, I love when, when guys like him – open up and, and share mm-hmm. uh, the financials and stuff just because people I mean this is I love when I, I I love hearing that because there's a lot of a lot of charlatans there's a lot of people especially now more than ever in the supplement space that put fluff their numbers I mean mm-hmm. everybody fucking fluffs their income oh I make X amount of dollars or oh, our supplement company's worth a hundred million and no he's pretty honest no it's not bro you no. know it's not worth that much but he was really honest everything too to talk about his bankruptcy and where he was and he shares you know the peak of it financially the bottom of it financially he just recently gained control of his company yeah so that was really interesting and fun for me to talk to him about that i really enjoyed that part of the conversation yeah it was really cool to talk to him about all the just how the business works and how he grew it and all the challenges and then of course we got into his bodybuilding career gaspari was the bodybuilder that brought shredded conditioning to the stage he was the first guy to have shredded glutes uh, which was a big deal back then. Um, he's why bodybuilders now are as shredded as they are. He kind of brought that that look. And you know, it's funny. We went off air. We started talking some more. And he said he was one of the first guys to do a gluten-free diet. And he did a gluten-free diet back in the 80s because he understood that it helped his body drop water, which I thought was fascinating. Which is, you know, I can't believe he didn't bring that up in the, know, in the interview right? because yeah. we, you brought up the fact that he was the first one to have the conditioning that he did. I'm sure that played a huge part in it. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, his website isn't up and fully functioning yet, but he's going to have it up and it's going to be uh, have new products on it, and that's Gaspari Nutrition. Of course, they were the makers of Super Pump 250, which was one of the popular pre-workouts back in the day. Um, his Instagram page is Rich Gaspari, G-A-S-P-A-R-I. 
Um, he's going to be at Sean Ray's uh, bodybuilding show in Hawaii, and I do want to plug that. Uh, that's in November 10th. You can go if you want to check that out. Yeah, maybe or maybe next year we'll invite us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're going to put that out there. If you want to check that out, that's at srhawaiianclassic.com. Sean Ray's a good friend of ours. Um, now, in it, addition to that, man, we I'm excited that uh, Taylor, what he's got going on this week, we have Friday. So, what, two days, Doug? Mm-hmm, was that? Mm-hmm. Today's Wednesday. Right? I have no right. idea what fucking day it is. So, two <laughs> days from now, on Friday, uh, this this is probably my favorite giveaway that we've done yet that we're doing on Instagram. So, if you go to the Mind Pump Media page, you could check out the Skinny Dipped giveaway that we're doing right now. Skinny oh, Dipped Almonds. yeah. Hooking up. My favorite snacky snack. Yep. Big hookup. Go check it out on Friday and see what that looks like. Um, And also, it's the final hours. If you're lucky enough to listen to this episode right when we drop it, you only have a few hours left for our biggest promotion of the year. This is it. Maps Aesthetic, 50% off. Just go to mapsblack.com. Use the code BLACK50, B-L-A-C-K, and the number 50, no space, for 50% off. It ends at midnight tonight, on Halloween, okay? So if this is after Halloween, we're sorry you missed the promotion. Oh, man. If you're listening to this when it came out. Sucks to be you. Good for you. You still get 50% off again. It's at mapsblack.com. Uh, use the code BLACK50. So without any further ado, here we are interviewing the legend, the bodybuilding legend and the supplement marketing legend, Rich Gaspari. Do you go to the LA Fit Expo? We have. We spoke, we have it, we spoke at it last year. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we're going to be there. Okay. Good deal. I'm getting a. We need to go down. Yeah. We should. Yeah. yeah. We need to go down there. We got enough the people that are we have yeah, doing boost sense. down there. It's actually a nice, it's been a nice show. It's a pretty good one. For, I, I was at, showing my age, I was at the first LA Fit Expo that started in oh. Pasadena. Really? So then so it was. So you've a seen small, the evolution of it. I saw the evolution. It was a very small, intense. And now it's at the LA, LA Convention Center, which is it's crazy. Huge, so it's crazy to me. What I mean, I re, I remember the first time I went to one, just in the last ten years compared to now, it's just ridiculous. What blew my mind was probably about I think it was right when I was competing. So five five years ago, I went out to Olympia, and I went out there. What I was surprised at, and you know, I'm sure you, you remember watching this transition, was the. Uh, celebrities that had lines that weren't bodybuilders anymore yeah, yeah. were these Instagram kids. Instagram kids. Yeah, man, you saw a fucking line. I'm like, yeah. what? Well, Who like the Rich fuck is and on then, and then you have huge poster. Yeah, and yeah. then you have the famous bodybuilder that yeah, yeah. five feet. Yeah, yeah, no, you'd see Jay Cutler, and he'd be like, there are five people in front of his booth, you know. Yeah. And that was right after; it yeah. wasn't that long after he had, he'd he'd retired. And I'm like, wow, man, yeah. this is crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah, yeah so now, now, Rich, you this is pretty special for me because you know I I re- I've been reading about you for for decades. I mean, when I first started working out, it was in the '90s, so your bodybuilding career kind of had ended before that point a little bit. Um, right, right in, into '92, I competed right into 1996, mm-hmm. and then I and then I got an injury. I herniated a disc in my neck, which totally caused my right arm to be paralyzed. I was getting ready for like coming back, competing against guys like Dorian Yates. Were you? Um, actually, I went past Dorian Yates. I came. I made a comeback where. It was, uh, you know, Ronnie Coleman and Flex Wheeler. So they were back into the mid to late 90s. I was coming into the bodybuilding to get into like 2000. But then the injury just totally curtailed me and I was bedridden. And while I was bedridden, that's where I sat there and I said, I got to do something for a living. I can't use my body anymore. 
So I just basically started the brand wow. just well, off an idea. Well, let's let's go back to the very beginning. Now, when you were competing in the in the in the eighties, when you yeah. were at your I guess at your peak or your competitive uh, peak, you were the guy that pushed uh, Lee Haney. You were uh, you, you know one of the best bodybuilders in the world at the time, and you were known for insane conditioning, uh, great posing. I think you're you're known as one of the first bodybuilders to have striated glutes yes. on stage if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Sal has a poster in it. Yeah. <laughs> I brought I brought conditioning to another level in into the sport. Um, as you said, you know, I was very young when I turned pro. I was nineteen years old, one of the youngest pros. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Um, I was thirteen years old when I first picked up a weight and became you know, was had an interest in bodybuilding. You know, one of my uh, good friends, you know, school friends, when I was like 11 or 12, I went to his basement and he had all these muscle builder magazines. And I saw these magazines of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Lou Ferrigno, Franco Colombo, Robbie Robinson. And I saw these and I, I, they looked like superheroes. I said, wow, I can't believe guys can have this, you know, muscle. I want to do this. Hmm. So this kid that I would play baseball with, I would basically want to go in his basement and read these magazines. <laughs> <laughs> so after a while, I, you know, I, I, I figured out to start going into the gym and training at 13 and it just became a lifetime uh, thing for me. It's, you know, I've been training my whole life. I'm in my fifties now, you know, turning pro at 19, where I was one of the youngest um, <clears throat> at the time, you know, winning, I moved to California uh, when I was 19, I met Lee Haney. I don't know if you know, he was my training partner. Oh, I didn't know. I, I won the uh, junior nationals. Uh, it was then in New Jersey. I went into the nationals that year. And when I went into the nationals, uh, a guy from Gold's Gym, Ed Connors, who owned Gold's Gym, basically saw me and said, why don't you move out to California and get to live in the Valley? You can own this, you know, have a part owner of this gym in Reseda, this Gold's Gym in Reseda. For me, it was a great opportunity. I was going to college at the time, uh, Rutgers University. I was a pre-med student. Um, I was still into training. So <clears throat> what I basically did is I told my parents, I said, listen, I'm going to take a leave of absence. I'm going to move to California and pursue my dream to be a bodybuilder. Now, they thought I was nuts because <laughs> oh, I basically, yeah. you know, I quit school to move to California. Um, and when I lived there for the year, you know, I was just this crazy you know, kid, you know, was, like I said, I was very young. When Lee Haney saw me in the gym, he saw me, you know, squatting close to 800 pounds at a 525 bench. But I, I had this insane, like, training, you know, to the... You were known for it. Yeah. You, you were know, known for being a maniac. Just me and there's guys like Tom Platts and, you know, Dorian Yates and, and certain athletes that they train to this next level. That was me. Like I'd always have to train with the blood vessels popping in my eyes when I trained <laughs> in the gym. So Lee Haney saw me and he said, Hey, you know, kid, would you like to train with me? So I was a very, when I moved to California, I was very bulky. Cause I, you know, I figured I had to get bulky and then lose the body weight. So, but I would see a lot of the pros that were in better condition, you know, off season. They weren't ripped, but they were in good condition. So Lee Haney was always calling me like fat boy. He, he kept calling <laughs> me like, you know, fat boy, you can't be this heavy. You're like 250 and, and you're, you competed at, you know, 200 pounds, you, you, you gained too much weight. So I took his advice and started leaning out, you know, off season and then honing in on, you know, to let my body become more symmetrical. So at the time I won the junior nationals, I had really huge legs, I had, I had no shoulder width, kind of a squatty waist because I had like bigger obliques because I would lift so heavy. 
So <clears throat> I had to change my training principles, stop training legs, concentrate more on my upper body and my shoulders and my arms and my back, you know, make my waist get smaller so that I can cause an illusion to make myself look, you know, more symmetrical, even if I was the same body weight. So Lee Haney and I trained together. That year he won his first Mr. Olympia. I won the nationals and Mr. Universe. And that turned me pro. Back then it was much harder to turn pro. I don't know if you know, you, yeah. know, if you know this. Guys will go 10 years and never be pro. Yeah, you got guys like uh, Rory Littemeyer and Matt Mendenhoff, you know the, who those guys are from uh, the past in the 80s. They were great bodybuilders, never turned pro because you only had five pros in the entire world who turned pro per year. You had to go from the Nationals and then go into the Mr. Universe. You had to win that Mr. Universe to turn pro. If you didn't win Mr. Universe, you had to start back and win the Nationals again. So a lot of bodybuilders just couldn't do it. You mm. know, Matt Mendenhoff came second, second. Um, Rory Littemeyer, another great bodybuilder, never did it. So today, I hate to say this, they give out you know pro cards very easily. Not that the guys are not great, right. but there's there's a lot of you know pro cards that are given to anyone in any country. You know, once you become say Mister Sweden, you turn pro. Where Mister Sweden had to go against all the other people like Mister America, and and then that's how you turn pro. So it's a much, it was much different. Yeah, and I believe. Then, because you only had four pros or five pros a year, they were looked on more and you had the magazines looking at these guys. Today, if you ask me who won the Nationals or who won the Mr. You know, Mr. Universe, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> were you now, were you applying the knowledge that you were obtaining in your pre-med? Were you, were you like using this? I, yeah, I had a minor in nutrition, so I definitely uh, believed that to enhance the body, I believe like 75% of getting in shape was nutrition. Um, I, back then I, I did believe in supplementation, but there wasn't much supplements, you know, back then when I, when I was training, uh, there was desiccated liver. There were these horrible protein pills. <laughs> I remember yeah, those. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, the whey protein was probably 30%, you know, so the quality was very low, but I still used products. Creatine just came about. So I started using those supplements, but I believe, you know, like branch chains, they were something that I used way back 30 years ago. And today it's still, you know, a, an integral part of the supplement industry right. using, you know, branch chain amino acids. So I believe that to get to a next level, I would have to supplement, you know, with, you know, you know, vitamins, branch chains, creatine, these type of supplements. Now in, in bodybuilding, what I always find fascinating is there's always, you see a certain level of competition through the decades and then all of a sudden there's like a next level and everybody has to meet that next level. Uh, a, a classic example would be, you know, Dorian Yates, for example, brought mass to a whole different level. Now, Lee Haney to an extent did that as well in the 80s, but really, in my opinion, the 80, the difference between the 80s and the 70s was the conditioning. Yes. Just a whole different level of conditioning. You didn't see, you know, bodybuilders in the 70s were pretty lean, but if you look at a picture of Arnold, you know, winning in 1974 or five or whatever, he 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 wouldn't be lean enough to win a, a local show today. The guys in the '80s bro all of a sudden got shredded, and you were known for being one of the guys. And I talked about that. The first guy was strided glutes. Like nobody knew what the hell that was until you hit the stage. What was it that that you did that brought that to that level? Well, I was competing against a genetic freak, you know, Lee Haney. Mm. So looking at someone like him, I said, "How can I beat this guy? I can't beat him on size. I have to beat him on conditioning." 
fortunately I had great genetics that I would lean out very, you know, mm. very easily. So a lot of guys back then thought I was taking all these like bizarre drugs and mm. to get lean, but it was just hard dieting that, you know, got me lean. So <clears throat> it was actually by accident. You know, if you looked at, you know, if you look at the classic bodybuilders today, you notice that they wear these, they wear these shorts that are like way, you know, way past their butt. I mean, but the trunks that you used to wear in the 70s that Arnold wore, you didn't show any glutes. It was basically these yeah. these long cut, I don't know how you It's call like it. a Speedo, but it goes Spe around yeah. your glutes. Yeah, but so I looked at it and I started getting myself in conditioning. Once I turned pro, Lee Haney and I then became rivals. I moved back to the East Coast. I started preparing myself as a pro and- when I was, you know, when I was getting ready as a pro, we had a posing room and I started posing. I noticed that I started getting leaner and leaner, you know, on how I dieted. And a lot of it had to do with, you know, education on dieting. A lot of guys followed like a low carb diet to get in shape. I found much uh, easier that if I had more of macronutrients where my carb levels, my complex carbs and my proteins were pretty much the same levels, I guess, uh, <clears throat> where I didn't like go into this totally... Um, ketosis. Yeah. So I would keep my muscle and basically fluctuate my calories as I went down in, you know, in body weight to get leaner. Anyways, I started noticing, you know, that my glutes were getting leaner and leaner and leaner, but the trunks that were then, you know, sold to bodybuilders really didn't display it. So I was the first bodybuilder to basically take my trunks, cut them where you can see oh, the glute muscle. All the trunks today were based off me. You know, for what I did in the sport, I added, that was another contribution because <laughs> right. glutes then became- well, So are you the first guy to do the, give himself a wedgie up yeah, on stage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> I, I had the trunks where I had to Brazilian use like- style. I had to use glue to keep my trunks from going up into my ass, you know, into my ass crack. So I, you know, but I wanted to be able to show those striety glutes that- other bodybuilders didn't have. And that was my yeah, advantage, advantage when, I, yeah. when I did this back pose. Back then, you know, you had to have a Christmas tree. Now you have to have a Christmas tree and you have to have striated glutes to be in shape in a show. So that's something, like you said, I contributed to the sport and got, and brought bodybuilding to a whole nother level in the conditioning category. Wow. And those whole 80s from the mid into the late 80s into the 90s, it was all about conditioning. Although Lee Haney was winning, everyone was basing how they looked and and the shows were all based on my conditioning. Mm. So that's something- What was that, the response to that when you first did that? Were people like, what the hell's going on? Well, the first time I, I went on stage and, and it showed in the pro Mr. World in Columbus, Ohio, as the first time that I was able to get my, myself full. I was about 216. Back then I was big, you know, five foot eight, but totally in crisp, shredded conditioning. Um, and when they saw this, they just never saw anything where someone was in that type of conditioning where you saw striations everywhere in your body, you know, from my legs to my glutes to my, my abs, you know, you didn't see a spot of fat. And I remember listening to the commentator, it was uh, Chris Dickerson and Chris Dickerson said, this is like the next level in anybody in, you know, in conditioning. And, you know, although he was kind of downplaying me saying that I wasn't the most symmetrical bodybuilder, uh -huh. the conditioning that I displayed on stage was so awestruck to the public they had to give it to me so i was winning every show at that time i was i was they called me the mr second place because i can win every pro show i beat guys like lee labrada um <clears throat> barry demay um who's the other guy uh 
a lot of different guys that I was able to beat, but I just, when I got to the Mr. Olympia level and I had to go against Lee Haney, he just always, you know, just because of his, his mass and size and he had, you know, his hip structure was smaller than mine. So he just had a better physique. Oh, uh, he was wide as hell. Yeah. Crazy. It was a crazy era of bodybuilding. Yeah. So uh, you, you had talked about earlier how you had herniated a disc and had to stop your comeback. Let's bring it back to that. So what happened? You were, you were doing a comeback. You hurt yourself. How did that all happen? Well, remember I told you, I, I started competing, you know, I turned pro at 19. And from then, for that point, every year I was competing, 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 competing in multi, uh, multiple shows that I was very competitive right from like 84 into 91, 92. And then I just started burning out. And burning out as a bodybuilder, I just started placing lower. Even though I was training hard, dieting, doing everything proper, my body just wouldn't respond. And I just started placing lower and lower and lower. So I took, I took a couple years off, um, came back in 95. And when I came back, I tried to make a comeback. And in some of the shows I competed in, Doreen was almost was already done. And then this new breed of bodybuilders, now it was ripped and big, was like the Ronnie Coleman era. Where yeah, he had yeah. both freakish. He had both that rip conditioning and mass. So the first shows I competed in were against him, where they had this rivalry with um, Flex Wheeler, yeah. right. who you know then was trying to beat Doreen, but now he was trying to beat. He was supposed to be destined to become Mister Limpy, but he never expected this Ronnie Coleman to come out. I came in, you know, <clears throat> I placed as high as fifth in the in the pro show it was uh, coming back but i was just to a point that i just felt that it just wasn't in me anymore i all that hunger how old does that put you at how old would you be i was like 30 very young yeah. <laughs> i was okay. like i was already like burnt out at 31 32 uh it was like 33 years old when yeah. i got the injury yeah but that's 10 years of competitive bodybuilding yes. training the way you did yes and i i just Everyone said I didn't have the genetics to be a top bodybuilder, but what I did have was the mental fortitude. I can train harder than anybody. I can push my body to the limit harder than anybody. And of course, you know, there's things, there's problems with that. There's repercussions. I started getting degenerative discs in my back, started having injuries. So that's where I think you started seeing this change where I couldn't get myself to look as good. I couldn't get myself as conditioned like in my back region. Because when you start screwing with your discs, you know, the, the nerves that go to those, the pathways, the nerves that go to those muscles, they don't fire. So you, you actually start to atrophy. Right. So I started seeing that happen. So I made that comeback, went on stage, got as high as like fifth place. I, I was. Uh, I had a, a couple other shows that I went in that I was getting between sixth and fifth, and to me it was like not where Rich Gasparri, the Rich Gasparri was. Tried again to go into a show back then, the New York Pro, uh, which they call back then the Night of the Champions. While preparing for that show, it was probably in a. I was one of the best shape of my life. It was like two thirty, ripped, trying to be have the mass and the ripness that I had. Uh, <clears throat> two weeks out from the show. I was doing shrugs and I just basically herniated the disc in my neck. Um, it devastated me because my whole right size just got paralyzed. I couldn't pick up a 10 pound dumbbell. Fuck, that must've been scary. It was, it was the worst feeling. I was in bed. Um, I watched my body go from 230 to 185 pounds because I couldn't train at all. Mm. You know, the pain was so excruciating. 
back then, excuse me, back then I should have had surgery, but I didn't opt for the the surgery because you have to go through your, uh, you know, the front part of your neck to get to the disc, mm. to cut Aww. the disc. And I never did it. And I still have residue, you know, um, injuries from that yeah. where I have atrophy in my bicep and tricep from that injury. So, but like you said, there was, there's always a silver lining. I was laying in bed saying, what am I going to do? Um, while my body was atrophying, <laughs> getting skinnier and skinnier. <laughs> mm. And I just said, I'm going to start a supplement line. Mm. It just came out of the top of my head. I said, I'm going to just do this. And people are like, you're crazy. You know, how do you know anything about supplements? Yeah. I said, well, I take them. I believe in them. I believe that they, they make a great difference. So I started going to a lot of the manufacturers and looking for, you know, a brand, a product, products that I can sell in my brand. Now, Rich, what was, yeah, what was the major competition back then? Like, what were your, your big companies? <clears throat> when, I, when I got into it, I don't know if you know, um, actually, Lee Labrada was before me. He started mm-hmm. Lean Body. So I saw what he did, and, you know. And he did pretty well. He, well, he was a little luckier. He, he actually got a contract that he got a percentage of the metric sales. Oh, right. So what happened with him is I, I forgot what he, what he got, but he, he got a nice percentage instead of getting paid. So this was like a startup company, mm. but then metrics became huge. His percentage was so big that he was paid in the millions to get him out of the company. Oh, wow. So he took that money and then started, you know, Lee Labrada's company, you know, yeah. Lee, Lean Body. Yeah, yeah, metrics was big back then. You had metrics, you had Weeder. Cybergenics. Cybergenics. Metri- uh, uh, who else? Uh, what about ABB? Uh, yeah. ABB American was, bodybuilding yeah. versus gyms. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, now here's the thing that, and, and this is the part that uh, I really want to talk to you about because as great of a bodybuilder as you were and as much as you changed the sport of bodybuilding, I think your brilliance is in the, the supplement uh, industry, especially marketing. You, in my opinion, you single-handedly created the pre-workout, uh, you know, the, the pre-workout market for supplements. I remember reading the magazines, seeing these ads for super pump. Yeah, it was super pump <laughs> two fifty. Yeah, and I, I remember thinking it was brilliant. It had a picture of, and I talked about this on the show several times. There's a picture of guys before and after the workout, which, you know, they're pumped. It's going to look amazing. Of course it's going to look amazing. <laughs> yeah. But the thing that you tapped into, and I don't think you were the first pre-workout. I think Ultimate Orange was one, but they didn't really market it that way. No. You were the first supplement to market, it, give you a better pump. And yes. of course it came from the mind of a bodybuilder because yeah. everybody loves a fucking pump and <laughs> it ritualizes supplements. Where did you come up with that idea? Well, I can't say that I totally came up with the idea. If you know this, Cybergenics was down the street from where where I was, and Cybergenics was no longer in existence. Yeah, whatever but, happened, they're done, right? Yeah, he sold off the company. Okay. They started the the brothers started Cytodyne. It was another company it, that we okay. could talk about that was around. But he was famous for his before and afters. So I remember those ads and saying, wow, look at the difference between this guy. I bought from- Cybergenics a long time ago because of those before and after. Uh, right, you got like 15 yeah, different pills. Yeah, you, know? yeah. you had these, these kits that you would <laughs> yeah. take and these kits you could show the before and the after. But I wanted to show something different. You know, he showed like one month or three months time. I said, I want to show it right after your workout. <laughs> if you could do something even more like drastic to show someone before and after what it could do. Which is brilliant. Yeah, so <laughs> brilliant. Because <laughs> people want instantaneous results. Right. That's about anything. Everyone wants that magic pill. So this was the magic powder. If you can show this result that someone's going to go from, you know, looking flat to being even to this extreme pump, and you can show it in a picture, people are like, wow, look at this shit. This right. is the shit that works. Mm-hmm. So 
that's what made Super Pump 250 and the name Super Pump. Now, at what point did you know you hit a home run? Because obviously, I mean, everybody goes into creating something and and hoping that it takes off like that. But when did you just know that it was, holy shit, we did something great? Well, the sales, but that was part of it. That's what I mean. Like, (laughs) did it take off right away as soon as it hit? No, I I mean, we started the ads, and I got to tell you, back then, the product tasted like ass. It was, we had to really try to, you know, flavor the product, and it was just a horrible, the first batches that came out, it was, we started with an orange flavor because of the ultimate orange, mm. um, but it tasted horrible. But it, <laughs> but you really felt the product. When you used it, you really felt the product. Then as we went, we started improving the flavoring and started coming up with new flavors. Back then, you know, the marketing was through the magazines. So we used those forums. I started getting some sales from that product and I just kept dumping it back into the marketing and putting it in various magazines, those before and afters. I started working with distributors like Europa, um, back then, Bob O'Leary, and it just, the product started selling. Um, A huge sampling program that a lot of companies use today. You know, we started giving away those samples to a lot of the stores. They just go, here's the samples, here's the samples. That must have crushed for you guys. That's what did it. And, And, you know, back then, people didn't even do this ample sampling program, but we did an ample sampling program that any account that bought 12 bottles got 50 samples. Uh, as soon as you smart. did that, those bottles sold. Well, see, this is this is brilliant because supplements, I mean, th- there's been samples in the past. You could try something out. But the problem with sampling supplements is many supplements, it takes a while to feel. Like, oh, we need a sample protein. You're basically just yeah, sampling just the, the taste. taste. Yes. With a, with the pre-workout, which it's, it's got stimulants in it, you take mm-hmm. that, you feel it. You yes. feel it right away. So this it's perfect. It was absolutely perfect for that supplement. Well, that's the thing. When you do a sampling program, it has to be something that has an instantaneous result. You can sample proteins. And of course, that that's another that's a whole other segue that I got into myofusion. They, they thought that I could never go into the protein market and take a chunk of that. And I did that with myofusion. I could talk about that. But with Super Pump, we, what we basically did is have something that can show instant gratification, that stimulant feeling when you go into the gym that you want to train, that pump that you felt um, using that product and just ample samples that went out there. And that just caused this organic effect of the sales growing. Back then, I was competing against BSN's NO Explode. That's right. It was, oh, me, and, um, it was yeah. me and NO Explode. So then he had these- oh, I didn't realize they went that far back. Yeah, well, I, I think you were probably first, right? No, they were. It was right at the same. Was time. it really? Okay. It was. It was like right at the same time. So I was the blue bottles. They were the red right, bottles. Right. Right. I got to commend them too because they were great marketers and what they were doing with with Eno Explode. And I started noticing they had these walls of red in these stores where they would sell and say, if you buy a certain quantity, we're going to fill the wall and you get all these like goodies as a store. Mm. So I'd go into the store and said, okay, the red walls. Okay, I'm blue. I said, I'm going to have waves of blue. I said, waves <laughs> waves knock down walls. So I go into the store. I said, I want that red wall, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to, you know, we're going to buy it off, and I'm going to put it with Gaspari products. <laughs> so I would basically do that and just buy off the red bottles and replace them and give away the red bottles and have the Gaspari products. <laughs> and every big store that I knew he was in, I go after those stores. Oh, no take over those stores. Any did and, any beef ever oh, happen? Oh, he hated me. Oh, really? Oh, Actually, God. there was a point where Scott James basically said that any employees would talk to me would get immediately fired. Oh, so <laughs> we're friends now, but at that time, he didn't like me very much because I was. It, it was this. See, I was a competitor, being a competitive bodybuilder, going against the greatest bodybuilders like Lee Haney. I couldn't beat him. I couldn't beat him because of his genetics. But this was business now. 
business, you don't have to go with genetics. You have to go with, you know, using your brain. Yeah. So yeah. this is how I was able to say, you know what? I'm competitive. He doesn't realize how competitive I am. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. show that I'll do everything and anything to be able to beat this guy and beat BSN. And I have to say, they were, at the time, it was one and two as one of the biggest pre-workouts. Um, then he had a problem with one of the one of the ingredients. I can't remember or recall one of the ingredients, but it, it, it had a, he had a recall to have to pull that out. Mm. Oh. So when he did this, opened up the gates. The, oh, the, yeah. the products were off the shelf, and that's when I just came in and just had Gasparri everywhere. You know? oh, wow. So it was now was it a hit right out the gates? Where you you're you're in bed, you're injured, you're like shit. I got to do something. You start the supplement company. Was it a bit of a grind at first, or was it, it was a big grind? I started, you know, like I told you, I I, I don't know if I told you, I started. Where as a pro bodybuilder, I had a contract. I was making, you know, money as a pro bodybuilder. I had a gym, but <clears throat> back then the gym wasn't doing very well because there was a lot of competition. Um, I I wasn't making money, mm. you know. So at that time, I had to decide for myself: what am I going to do? Um, I'm not making money as a bodybuilder anymore. I basically sold off everything. I actually went into personal bankruptcy. Oh wow! Moved back to my parents' house and started Gasparri Nutrition in the basement. Oh, of wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I started this business in the basement. Their garage was my warehouse, and back then both my parents were ill. My my mother had Parkinson's disease. My dad was sick and then got cancer and died. So I got to spend time with them when I started my company. You know, so. I went. I started working in there, and it was a grind. I had a lot of moments where I said I was just going to give up and go do something else. Wow! I was going to. Mm. I had a girlfriend who was trying to push me to sell life insurance, and <clears throat> that's another story. I went out and got my my insurance license. Um, I went out, sold my first policy. I I went back and I said I have good news and bad news. I sold my first policy and I quit. Because I can't do this. <laughs> right the same day, huh? I can't wear a suit no. and go door to door to try to sell insurance. I'm going to pursue my dream in doing this if it kills me. Because I always said, you know, if I, I throw enough shit against the wall, eventually it's going to stick. And at the time, I was, I was struggling. I said I was really not doing much. You know, online business was just kind of starting. You know, we had some websites. What helped me a lot back then was the pro-hormones that were being sold. Yeah, back let's then. talk about that for a mm. second because I remember you back in those days. You had uh, pro hormones or designer steroids or whatever you want to call them. They were legal. It was like a gray market, and you guys had uh, Halodrol. I think it was Halodrol was your. Well, we had we had products way before that. Halodrol Wait. was the big big hit, but before Halodrol, when I started my mom's basement, was one T. You know, one oh, that but, was legit, by the yeah, way. Yeah, this is a legit, like, yeah, this yes. shit actually puts yes. some- so we started selling one. I found out through reading online about this product called One Tea. I said, shoot, I got to get a hold of this stuff. I found that a guy who supplied the raw materials. Because then I was struggling. I was trying to sell proteins. I started with universal supplements that started making my stuff. In my basement, I was, you know, going around gym to gym selling creatine, protein, um, I had a couple like multivitamins that were their multivitamin with my label on it. I was like, well, this ain't making money, you know, quick enough. I got to do something. I had these uh, protein drinks called quick meals and they were uh, proteins, you know, that you add water into them and, you know, just meals on the run that were doing okay. Um, but like I said, what was a big hit is I started reading about these pro hormones and I said, shoot, I got to see if I could sell these things. 
I started investigating it. I was able to buy the raw materials, get a manufacturer to bottle them. 1T was the first one. Started selling it, and it just took off. Of course. Because <laughs> it was my name attached to it. Rich Gasparitis, you know, pro ex-pro bodybuilder selling this 1T. I went from doing sales. I told you the first the first year I started Gasparitis Nutrition, my, my sales were about $30,000 for the whole year. Um, the second year, I think we did about 80 grand. Okay. Then when I started selling 1T, I did my first million. Oh, shit. Yeah, so, right away. Wow. Right, 30, yeah, so 80, <laughs> 1 mil. Yeah, 1 million. Wow. Because so, we started getting business and calls from all over to sell this, mm -hmm. you know, domestically throughout the whole the whole country. We started selling to um, Europa. And the way I got that account, again, you know, when I first went to those, I went to see Eric Hillman, who owns Europa, and he was a judge, and I was judging shows. And I sat there, hey, Eric, will you take my brand? He goes, well, you're not ready to take my, you know, to have us as a distributor because you're not going to be able to keep up with the demand and how you're going to pay for this. We want 30-day terms. So I asked my brother for a loan, you know, for the first order, which they ordered like 30 grand, 40 grand. I got the money from my brother so that I can manufacture, then give it to them and give them the terms. But it just it just took off. I saw, I was able to start selling, you know, through Europa, who's kind of the first distributor as well. And we just started growing from there. How did you pick the the the, the pro hormones that mm. you that you ended up picking? Why did you pick one T, and then what eventually brought you to Halodrol, which was your big hit? Well, I found a guy uh, basically that was selling off. It, the, the name of the company was Kilo Sports. I'm not sure whether they're still in business. They were selling raw materials mm. that people could then make their own, you know, pills or concoctions that you know would get capsules. So I I started getting him to supply me with raw materials. He's the one who started telling me, "Hey, here's a here's a product called One T." Mm. Then there was another one, you know, that we made was the Novadex XT. That's right. It was the anti aromatase product. That's right. ATD. ATD. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Which and by the way, these are for these the are all legal now, right? I was going to say, what are the legalities yeah. back then? Like, how did you um, get through all that? Well, Deshaya wasn't enforced, mm. and so a lot of the, the I was following suit to a lot of what other people were doing. And you know it was kind of like a gray market as long as it wasn't sold as a steroid or prescribed steroid, and it was never on the market. These designer steroids were basically steroids that were invented but never made it to market. Mm -hmm. So, so that's what they were doing. They were going through looking at all these yeah, anabolics mm -hmm. that companies never used. They like, never used them. Yeah, because like one testosterone, one T, for example. I mean, when you um, people who've used that will tell you it's like you're taking D ball. I mean, yeah. it really gives you. Uh, these are actual steroids, so it's yeah. of course they. <laughs> they so blew. so when I started selling these this one T, the next product that I saw that someone was getting great success was the methylated one T, right? Which was even stronger. So it lasts longer in the liver. So, yeah, yeah, so it wasn't a great product because of the liver uh, toxicity if you take too much of it. But we started selling that. Now for me, I I knew this was a short short lived business, um, and. I talked to Europa, say, what's, you know, what's your plan? You're selling these pro-hormones. These are not going to last long. What are you going to do? That's when I started thinking about what else can I sell? And that's when we came up with the pre-workout. Mm. Basically, um, Super Pump 250 was a product shelved by Metrex. Oh, a, really? It was a pre-workout that they had. They shelved it because they thought it was too expensive to make because it had a lot of high-end ingredients back then. So 
<clears throat> the manufacturer offered it to me and say, I got this really cool pre-workout. Would you be interested in selling it? We were going to give it to somebody else. What's the guy with the the really big um, the really big arms that um, he advertised him? He's the one who puts all the synthol in Rich, oh, Rich oh, Piana. No, 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 not no, him. No, Before no. Rich Piana. Greg, Greg, uh, Greg, Greg uh, um, Valentine? Greg or? Valentino. Yeah, Valentino. Yeah. They were going to give it to him, but they saw that I was this you know, successful business guy because mm -hmm. they said, you know, it's so, you know, so it gives you such a pump that your arms blow up. So That's what <laughs> this guy was known for his arms. You know, his arms blew up because he had too much. And he had put a bunch of oil on them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they offered me this product and I said, let me go with it. And that was the first non, you know, steroidal pro hormone that we started selling. And, and that's when I started looking at other products. Like I came up with the first intra workout with Sizon. Sizon was another product that we came out with that, you know, had creatine, but it had hydrolyzed protein. It had uh, carbohydrates so that you had this product to take while you were training, to, you know, to increase glycogen, you know, in your yeah. muscle. Also brilliant idea. Yeah. All, I mean, all of it's brilliant because you're ritualizing supplements. I mean, yes. people, what do they, what do, when people work out, they work out. If you can time their supplements around their workout, I mean, it's just absolute brilliant marketing. So that's, that's what we did. So we have the, the, the pre-workout. We're going to have this intra-post workout. Mm -hmm. So it became Super Pump Sizon. And then the the product that you mentioned, we I have a, I had a guy, basically Bruce Neller, that came to me with this Halidrol, uh, with the ingredient from Halidrol. Now, that was, um, that was actually one of the hormones that were close to resemblance to Turnable. That's right. Which was a very clean steroid that was used by the Eastern Bloc, Germany, at the time, it was supposed to be easier on the body, easier on the liver, a hardening one. A hardening, is what they, yeah, but it was it was just an amazing, you know, great product. Mm -hmm. But what really set me over the top is um, an article that was in the um, Washington it was the the Washington Post. So basically, this this woman, Amy Shipley, basically saw that I was selling these hormones that were not really Deshea compliant. Mm and that we're going to the public. So basically she made this awareness to the industry that I was selling, you know, this steroid. So, oh, what were you made as an example then? Were you- Yeah, so- Oh, wow. So I, it was made an example, but it actually backfired in her, in her face. You oh, sold I, the shit I, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened was they wrote a front page article. They said, you know, ex-pro bodybuilder sells steroids to the public. This article was in the, you know, on the, on the front page of the Washington Post. Now- that became one of the biggest advertising. Of course, like uh, every young boy is like, "Oh yeah, awesome!" You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, at first, I said, "Shit, I got to stop selling this. I'm going to get out of this market." But then my phone was just ringing off the hook, ringing <laughs> off the hook. So I said, "Like, I want to get out of this because you know the FDA is going to come after me. I should just get out of this." Um, Europa offered me this huge PO. That was in the millions. It was like an offer I couldn't refuse. Give it to us exclusively, and you know, we'll we'll, we'll buy five we'll buy five million dollars worth of product from you. <laughs> with a PO, and I was in a very high margin back then. I don't know if you know pro hormones. You can make a hundred percent margin. Oh you know, my god, products. I didn't know that. Yeah, so the horm the the margins were through the roof. I did the first run. I said, listen, I'm going to give you one run, and that's it. And then I'm going to get out of it. But they came back to me with another PO for like <laughs> another eight million, and I, and I said, mm -hmm. "Okay, we'll make another. We'll make another one. <laughs> another one, batch. one more time. <laughs> one more time." One more time. Yeah. So we did two batches of that, and then honestly, he came back to me again, and I said, "I'm not doing this anymore." Mm -hmm. 
I'm going to get out of the pro-hormone business. I want to focus on other products that I feel are beneficial. I want to get out of it totally, which I did. And that's when I focused on the marketing of Super Pump, Sizon, our vitamins, you know, our my, I wanted to get into the protein market because I saw proteins, another market. You couldn't sell a brand globally without a protein. But at the time, it was very hard to get into the protein market because the companies like um, Optimum had the advantage of yeah. selling their proteins. But but when I tasted these proteins, they they tasted like dirty water. You were you were drinking protein like a chocolate. And I was drinking, and I said, "This tastes horrible." Because you know, me as a bodybuilder, I didn't care what I drank; it, it could taste like battery acid, and I would use it. But I said, to get more people accepting these supplements, they got to taste good. Yeah. So. What I did is I looked at the protein market. A, a manufacturer came to me and he said, "Like, you know, it's not only the taste; it's the mouthfeel. When you drink a protein, yeah, you want to have you want to have this milky consistency, and you don't want to have it just you know feel like it's just like drinking water." Mm-hmm. Metrics did it somewhat with their gum, but it was too much. It was almost like when you foam when you did a Metrics, it was like drinking paste. It's yeah. like cake you, batter. Yeah, yeah. Cake batter. Metrics so, and, and EAS, I feel like with yeah, the, the, the cake too. batter. So I thought that was too much. So I said it has to be more of a milky consistency. So the manufacturer, I said, you know what? Can we experiment with like Cremora? You know, the stuff that's in coffee that gives you that kind of creamy Oh, I don't know. Okay. Consistency. So they actually took the Cremora, you know, the ingredients from Cremora, added it to the protein to give it more of a mouthfeel that it felt more like like a milk, like a, you know, a chocolate milk. And when I did that with a really good flavor system, Myofusion just like, again, took off. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, we talk about Super Pump being a big hit, but Myofusion was probably one of the biggest proteins really? that I sold at the time. We were doing close to a quarter of a million cans of you know five pounders a month, a month? holy so, cow month? yeah selling holy them shit. globally wow um <clears throat> throughout the world there was at one time there was containers going to australia new zealand europe south america it was just a huge uh, middle east the protein just took off and that's where it brought the company to another level with you know selling proteins because everybody bought proteins margins were smaller our margins then, you know, I was telling you, pro-hormones were 100%. Pre-workouts were 60%. Proteins were 30 to 40%. You know, so <clears throat> I went from this high margin and then selling protein at a much lower margin. So it became more difficult to manage money sure. because then you're trying to buy excess, you know, materials to make protein, but now you're making much smaller margins. Right. Well, so what was the, mm. the scaling process like for you, like for, as far as staffing? I can't imagine you're running this monster by yourself still. I mean, you where, no. where did you have to start bringing people on? And like, what was the smallest you were at? And what's the most amount of people you've had working for you? Well, the smallest was just me working right. out of my mom's, you know, right. basement. Right. Um, I started doing well with the pro-hormones and I still hadn't stopped, started the super pump. So with these pro hormones, I I moved. I was able to move away, and I and then what I did is I got um, a small place. So with a small place, I had somebody basically answering the phone. So at that time, when I did like a million, we had two people and my girlfriend. So that was it. So <clears throat> from when we got into selling that super pump, then I had five people. When I started getting to selling the proteins, then I had to move into a warehouse, get a warehouse, get warehouse workers. Then I had like 20, you know, warehouse workers at a 60,000 square foot facility. 
then the most I had was around 50 employees. Okay. So mm-hmm. it went from one, two to, you know, to 50, you know, and working. So what has it been like for you to have started something that far back and then to watch how much, we kind of talked a little bit about this off air, about how much marketing has changed. I mean, you were a part of like the magazine era, which is pretty much almost dead now, That's right? Dead, yeah. And so what has that been like for you as far as riding that wave? I mean, did you peak at a certain point, like maybe in the 90s or two thousand early 2000s? And have you seen a dip? And then what's what's business been like now? Well, it didn't start going down i mean we were still doing close to 100 million in 2008 2009 as a company um we started seeing the change then uh a personal issue happened to me i I went through a divorce which was catastrophic to me both mentally personally about 2000 when you talked about when did the change happen yeah it was about 2011 2012 and, and that's and you're seeing it in the business and then you also got home and life. then i had i had Fuck. what was going on so i sh- i would have been more prepared if i didn't have to go through this divorce but because i was going through the divorce i wasn't paying attention to the market shift that market started shifting more towards online marketing more towards you know social media and it, it, it just started progressing, but I was still saying behind the times with using the magazines. Now these other companies started coming up, new companies started coming up and mm. started surpassing. And I was just trying to figure out, I'm spending all this money and nothing's happening and sales are actually dropping. You know, so, <clears throat> and what happened was I kind of, because I wasn't paying attention to my business, I stepped back and had my employees that were working for me run the company, which is a huge mistake. Never give your employees your checkbook. You know, even if they're a CFO, you always have to have control of what's going on and what's going out of your business. And <clears throat> I thought that I could step away and let the business run and deal with my divorce, but that was a big mistake. And right into 2014, we I went into business bankruptcy. Oh um, shit! So, the, so you went from a hundred million down. down. We were we, you know, at the time, my sales dropped around sixty million. But at sixty million, with what we had to do to keep the sales, my margins dropped around fifteen percent, which mm. was nothing. So we were actually in the red, selling over sixty million dollars. Oh products. wow! Mm. So my overhead costs, you know, in, in doing this business, where I should have like brought my overhead down, I should have been able to decrease you know or increase my margins by you know i was channeling everything through distribution and when you do that you have a middleman and that middleman then sells it to other Mm -hmm. um players and then what happened was they started selling to the online players those online players then because the brand was so popular it was such a competition that the sales just dropped you know not the sales the cost of them doing business or, or the cost of the product went down so much that it wasn't worth selling a Gasparri product. Right. If you're making one or $2 to make, to buy the product, you're not going to sell the product. Right. Right. And so that's when our sales started dropping. Wow. 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 So at, at this point you're going through, you're stepping back. When do you step back in huh. and take the reins and say, all right, let's make this. I, I got to say for the last six years, I've been basically in prison. Um, <laughs> one of the things I had to do when, you know, when you go into business bankruptcy, I don't know if you understand, you basically lose your business. You have to pay off your, you know, you're indebted to your creditors and people that you owe money to. So a lot of people I owe money to the manufacturers, the 
advertisers, you have to pay those people back. So when you go into, it wasn't total bankruptcy, was it chapter 11, okay. where it's restructuring. Restructuring means that you, you, you negotiate with the people you owe money to. Um, it's like short selling a house. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. You, you give them like yeah. 10 cents on the dollar. But what happened to me is the bank, you know, I, I made a deal with the bank, I owed the bank money. The bank put me into bankruptcy. So when they put me into business bankruptcy, your business goes on the auction block to sell. Mm. So at that time, I was, you know, I had a, I had a distributor from uh, England, um, Body Temple. I was very close with them. I said, if you can buy the company and I could still be in the company, um, I, th I believe we can still keep this going. We, we need to make changes, you know, the way the market, the market shifted. I said all these things, they went to auction. Now, when you go to auction in bankruptcy, the highest bidder wins. You can't have any preferences. Right. So even though I'm telling you I wanted this guy to win, it's the highest bidder who gets the company. Well, they got to be the highest bidder by 100,000. We sold the company for 10.2 million. Okay. Well, they, we paid back the creditors the 10.2 million. This company, Allegro, Body Temple bought the company. I ended up having to buy back into my company for two and a half million oh, wow. and become a 30% shareholder of the company I created. Oh, wow. So that had to been humbling as fuck. It was horrible. And I still believed in the brand and I believed that I was going to one day get back the brand. And I didn't know how I was going to get back, but I figured that I would get back the brand. Anyways, um, they took the brand. They had no idea what they were doing. They were uh, a company that distributed uh, fruits and vegetables. So they had no idea about the supplement oh, industry. Because I became a minority owner, they basically put me to the side, called me a failure, you know, and said, we're gonna run the show now. You could just go So they didn't take your input or no, anything? No, they took my input. And How not, was that to watch what they were doing and not be able to say anything about it? I saw what they were doing and I knew that it was gonna fail. Um, they didn't understand the business. They didn't understand, you know, I, I, I started doing this stuff like we talked about, you know, a sampling program and mm -hmm. let's focus on, you know, direct to retailer. Let's get away from distributor. We, we were doing every, I was trying to give them advice, but they just negated anything mm -hmm. I said because these guys were from Europe. They basically said, you know, you're a failure. Oh, we're wow. going to take over the business. Wow. You know, you're going to stay to the side. Mind you, it went into like two years. Um, they saw that they were in the red. So I looked at it as an opportunity and I said, listen, you need to get out. They said, you can't tell us what to do. You are a 30% owner and we're a 70% owner. I said, "That my name's on this company and this is my company and I'm gonna get it back. So I was able to get someone else to buy into the company. And that was high tech, mm. if you know those guys. I do, yeah. Uh, Jared. Anyways, we, at the beginning, you know, he basically said that I can run the business. This is your business. We're going to be 50-50. He ended up not being truthful and being 50-50. ended up being 49-51 uh, with him being the majority shareholder. <clears throat> Just let's say that his business practices and my business practices were not the same. You know, I'm a very passionate person believing in selling the best products to the market. I believe in what I sell. And I'm not saying he doesn't, but... I just, we were not on the same page in what to sell to the public. He still was into selling 
hormonal products. And Did, I, wasn't high tech? Didn't weren't they in a bunch of lawsuits and stuff? Is that the same company? Yes, they came afterwards. Okay, okay. <laughs> so they, they did. He's have, like, they, I'm getting to that. Oh, there's still, <laughs> oh, there's still like a Fedra after a Fedra was kind of banned. Well, D, kinda, he's still in a lawsuit with DMAA. Oh, DMAA, with, that's yeah, the other one. Which I wish him luck. Like I said, I want to disparage it. We just sure. we just didn't see eye to eye as partners. Okay. I, like I wish him luck. Um, he got it to like. Um, some criminal uh, charges were put on him just recently because of the DMAH uh, sales that he did. I then said, I need to like get out of this and figure out a way to get back my company. So <clears throat> he was going through all his legal issues. I said, this is probably the best opportunity for me to take mm-hmm. you know, the company back and go our separate ways clean. So what I had to do is basically take my money that I had left over get an investor, but this time with the investors, make sure that I'm the majority shareholder and I have a say because I, I witnessed how it was with two other- You learned that lesson. <laughs> learned that lesson. Yeah. So I, I had to spend, and this is just recently over the summer, I had to spend a lot of money on having a lawyer negotiate with High Tech and Jared while I had the investors on the side supplying me the money. And as of August 9th, I was able to take back Gaspari Nutrition. So now the company's in my hands, and now we're making all these changes for Gaspari Nutrition. Wow, so we caught you right in the yeah. middle of all this shit. I didn't even realize I had that. no idea. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So, so now that you're now that you're your full owner and you're looking at the market, which is now totally different than 2011 uh, when you know all that shit really first started going down, it's a completely mm. different market now. What do you see? <laughs> yeah. Well, first I see many body first it was me and Lee Labrada. Now there's about thirty or forty pro bodybuilders trying to start, you know, brands and they see that it's very hard. You see guys like um, you know, Mr. Olympia Phil, you know, Phil Heath start yeah. a brand was what was it? Gifted um, nutrition. Gifted nutrition that didn't Heath go nowhere thought, really. Yeah, it couldn't go nowhere. Um a lot of pros, a lot of guys who were turning pro started these companies. I seen that the market just basically everyone just I think what happened was in 2008 when the economy dropped, the supplement industry still was a business where, you know, you could still make money. So people looked at it and said, wow, look at all this money being made by guys like Rich Gasparri. Like, we're going to get into this industry. And just, I just think because of social media, just people just got into this business and there's so many small brands and there's so many more channels now to sell products. So for Gasparri to survive, the new Gasparri Nutrition to survive we can't go to the same marketing using magazines, of course, not going through distribution without having strict controls, doing a model more that we're going to go direct to consumer, uh, direct to retailer, making sure that you control the pricing. As I said, one of the demises of Gis- Gaspar Nutrition was selling to websites that were just competing and then lowering the prices lower and lower and lower, mm. having enforced map agreements, you know, minimum advertised price. Amazon right now is a curse and a blessing because what happened with Amazon now is if you get to, you know, if you sell to Amazon or you sell to a distributor, they'll sell to Amazon dealers. Like I found out uh, the distributor was selling to 64 non-authorized Amazon dealers. So when you have 64 guys selling it, some of these guys are guys that are kids in their basement just trying to get beer money. So they'll buy your product and make... 50 cents or a flip buck it real quick and just flip it real f- and then your price integrity goes away so wow. i knew that this new gasparri hmm. cannot have that we have to have strict enforcement we have to have strict um 
um, selling to just certain channels and growing it healthy so that the brand can come back. The one thing that we have is we're a legacy brand with a well-known name. You guys know the name. Is just coming back. What you know, I see is just being able to control the channels, bring back innovation, and then show the passion that I had you know, when I started the company and just shifted into marketing in today. Do you have any new ideas you've been sort of brewing uh, that, you know, you might want to highlight or is that something that kind of you're keeping I'm trying to for keep now? Things, yeah. I'm trying to keep it to, you know, you know, nothing is ever new. Like I told you when I did the before and afters, I was basically looking at cybergenics. Mm. Um, I'm looking at a way a lot of other companies are running their businesses. We talked about earlier, certain websites that use, you know, um, Google, uh, you know, they use these blog, these yes. blogs to basically get people to the site. Once they get to the site, they get followed with, you know, retarget marketing. So we're looking into that right now. We're we, we're rebuilding the entire Gasparri website to go more towards a format of direct to consumer. Um, <clears throat> we're trying to get um, viewers of up to a million people in the next eighteen months, and that's by building these blogs. Mm-hmm. And we have twenty five blogs that are every month that are going into the website, mm. you know, with various, you know, what's the best protein, how to train biceps, all these different blogs that we're putting in there to get people to come to the site. Once they come to the site, they get hit with a cookie to get them, you know, with a banner. Oh yeah. So we're using, you know, the principles of today's marketing that are, there's a lot of successful companies what do you, out there. What do you think us? I, yeah, I've heard a lot of rumors and I don't know if this is true. Maybe you have a better pulse on this of a lot of these supplement companies that we see all over Instagram that have put a facade on like they're a much bigger company than what they really are. Do you do you see that or do you think there's a or do you think a lot of these supplement companies are all making 50 to 100 million dollars a year like I, I don't believe they're making that much. Some of these companies are not even making a million dollars. I mean but but as you said they can have such a facade with what they can do on social media they can look much bigger than they are. Right. Mm-hmm. So you know as a company, I said, even falling in my face, we're still over, you know, I could say my numbers, we're over $20 million as a company that fell on our face yeah. and still doing sales because we have channels uh, in the international market that still keep the brand alive. Yeah, I believe that Gaspari can be back into one of the biggest companies. Not sure if we can get back to the 100 million, but I'm gonna you know, try as hard as I can to get yeah. to those numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but just building it right, it's not about, the gross sale, it's about the net, you know, profit that you bring in. Of course. So we're growing the company much differently. We talked about having all these employees. I don't have a warehouse anymore. I use a 3PL, you know, third-party logistics company that does all my, you know, shipping. Yeah. So use the shipping companies that know what they're doing, you know, and shipping properly. I've seen where that becomes an issue, you know, with my prior partner where shipping was a travesty because you're not a shipping expert. You shipping experts to ship your products. Yeah. So we went that, you know, that route, hiring the proper people that can market your brand to today's marketing. Yeah. You know, I'm in my fifties, so I have to learn very fast. You guys found me on Instagram. You know, I'm, you know, I go on Instagram to use that as a, a way to bring awareness to who I am and what the brand is. Yeah. Do you, do you see like uh, any of the companies that are, I mean, we can talk about Optum Nutrition, BSN, EAS. I mean, these are some of the big staples that have been around for a long time. But EAS is, there any- is gone, by the way. Oh, no shit. Yeah, EAS, um, basically the pharmaceutical company that owned them and not that they were out of business. They basically, uh, who's the company that owns them? Though? I don't know, but I, I do know that it's a pharma company. It's a pharma company. And this pharma company makes so much money that, making, you know, 
75 million or whatever it what? makes. I think it made more than that, but yes. it wasn't enough money for them, so they just shut the doors. What? You're kidding me. So, yeah. I, they, so at no one more, point, yeah. they were like, because they were distributed at Costco. Yes. Bill Phillips started that, and then they got to become such a big company. But there's an example that many of these um, supplement companies get bought out by these huge conglomerates. Post bought out Diamatize. Glambia bought out Optimum. Um, I didn't know that. There's few companies that are owned by... You know, the original owners. The original owners that start the company. And, you know, you're seeing um, this shift of just I, because there's so much money in this industry that you have these small players and then you have some really big players. Yeah. And there's many, many small players that are dipping into the sales. Yeah. And then you have these huge mm -hmm. players like Diamatize and Optimum. Do you, do you see anybody that in the last decade that impresses you? Do you Are you paying attention to some of these brands that you're seeing on social media pop up? Are there any of them that you go like, I, I like what they're doing or I think they're on to something? Anybody you see? I mean, I, I you know, I commend a lot of the, you know, my competitors that I see out there. I, we, we saw a brand that you said, Le Legion. Legion. I was impressed with, you know, their website. When I, when I got back the company, I wanted to, to basically look at what other companies are doing that are successful and having someone that can look at the back end of, you know, you know that's that that a website is doing well because you could see the traffic going to the site right. and see how well they're doing. So mm -hmm. Legion was one of the websites. One Up is another company I've seen that's doing very well. Um, online, yeah. direct to consumer. Right. Um, <clears throat> I feel that I could be a different company where I can go for that online direct-to-consumer model, but still get the retail stores. And because I'm known globally- Yeah, and you're recognized. Yeah. So I'm recognized globally. I have distribution throughout the entire world. So I don't just have the domestic market. I have the entire world that I can still grow. That That's still 10 years behind the times. Hmm. You know, that's one thing that, you, that I can tell you that when you deal with international sales, you basically have a time work going back in time. So anything you did- 10 years ago works in these countries. <laughs> oh, interesting. Although, although you can't say that where social media has now also become global. These countries like Brazil, Australia, um, <clears throat> Europe, they all look at social media. So now instantaneously you can show what your company's doing off Instagram. I mean, I think even Facebook's a little for a, an older generation. Mm. So <clears throat> YouTube... What you're doing here with podcasts, these are all the new way of advertising and it's seen instantly, mm -hmm. yeah. globally. But there's still like the way products are marketed. It's not that they use magazines. Some of them still do. You know, if you go to the UK, they still use magazines. You go into Brazil, there's, they, you know, they use magazines and stuff. So you can use some of the old ways of marketing, but still also use, you know, marketing where a lot of brands, what they do is they use organic marketing using athletes or ambassadors that represent, say, Brazil. Sure. So you have like 20, 30 athletes that are posting about Gasparian Nutrition in Brazil, their language, the products, and we're doing that in every country. Yeah. Now, you mentioned CBD earlier as something that you've already noticed. Like, Have you noticed any like real big trends that you're like, oh, wow, maybe I'm a little late on that trend or maybe an emerging trend that you see out well, there right you, now? Well, you did bring up CBD. I see that's like a skyrocket. I mean, it's going to continue growing. You know, I it still has some federal implications. I got to see if it becomes federally legal. Mm -hmm. I know it's certain states. It's like here in California, 
marijuana and CBD is there's no problems, even in New Jersey, but there are other states that you can't, I believe can go through state lines with CBD. Yeah, no, yeah. So you can I, do hemp oil, yes, uh, but you can't say you know CBD. high CBD or CBD product. Yeah. So I, I do have an interest in that. I mean, when you're saying about you know emerging market or, or something new, the problem is, is you have strict enforcement of Deshaya. So what I did 20 years ago in selling pro hormones is a no no today. I mean, you're shut down immediately, mm. and you won't even sell that product. Like I told you when that. I did that article and you had everyone wanting to buy it today. If you're so if you're selling something remotely illegal, the consumer doesn't buy it anymore. Isn't that funny? Yeah, they mm -hmm. will yeah, not they're, buy it. Back then it would be like, oh, let it kill yeah. the bodybuilder? Yeah. I want that. Yeah. <laughs> today That's so no, true. I, I believe that you know you have this bunch new, of pussies today. Well <laughs> you, you have a new generation, you have millennials and you have That's these what's called the X generation, yeah. these young 19, 20 year olds that don't even know who Rich Gasparri is. They don't know who I am. Right. So, you know, they are looking for more cleaner products. I noticed a trend more towards, you know, no artificial coloring. Uh, Health, no, health and wellness is now merged. Much bigger, it yeah. used to be, it used to be, not that long ago, it used to be you had your hardcore supplements and the more they look like steroids, the better. And, and literally, they, the marketers would put, make the bottles look like it was like, a, you know, like chemicals. And then you had your health supplements that hippies and yoga people bought. You're starting to see emerging now where everybody, they want the wellness health side, but they also like the hardcore. So like a muscle builder also has to be natural, organic or whatever. You're starting to see that a little bit. Are you, are you seeing that? I'm definitely seeing that. Um, I was on the, the Everett, the guy who was driving yeah. here from the airport, where I was, you know, he was asking me about, you know, what are you seeing? And I see, well, for example, like branch chain amino acids, you know, now there's these fermented mm -hmm. vegan, which is much healthier, uh, you know, loosing, you know, branch chains can be made from human hair. You know, there's a process to do that. So people don't definitely don't want to have that. So they want the fermented vegan version of it. The artificial colors, the red dye, the blue dyes, all these things, you know, people are looking at and say, well, if that's going to hurt me, I don't want to use it. So you're right. This younger generation is more aware of health. Greens, I didn't care about taking greens when I was a bodybuilder. Now you see people using, you know, greens, um, nootropics, very big category. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm noticing, you know, nootropics are growing more and more and more. The alpha, you know, alpha GPC, octopamine, mm -hmm. these type of ingredients. I think a lot of the consumers, if you go back, say, seven, eight years ago, it went from like super pump, then super pump became not strong enough. So then you had to yeah, use. Then you had to throw so other you had to, So basically, they had this, you know, and I didn't believe in it. They had the concentrates, which was basically a spritz of creatine and beta alanine, just enough to give you a paresthesia, but then a, a, a boatload of caffeine and DMAA. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, what happened to that, that took over the market because it was much cheaper. And this stimulants just got stronger and stronger. Now there is that market with high stimulants, but I believe more, the consumer is getting more educated to use a product that can help with focus, that can help with pump, that can help with recovery. So going to the gym and using a nootropic, you know, with, with a small amount or a medium amount of caffeine of 200 mg instead of like 500 mg can get you in the gym and you can get this great focus and workout instead of your heart palpitating. So I see that trend, natural trend. As you said, products like greens are now being implemented into the sports nutrition. Uh, proteins, it was all whey protein. Now, mm -hmm. I was ahead of my time. I was, I don't know if you know this, I changed the formula because the pricing kept increasing on, on whey protein. 
So I was using a brown rice protein because when I looked at it, it had a higher leucine content mm. than, than whey protein. I said, well, it's going to be great because it's cheaper. Consumer did not want to buy it. It was ahead of my time. But now you look at vegan proteins, pea protein, yeah. hemp protein, rice protein. They're being sold and bodybuilders are using vegan mm -hmm. proteins because, you know, people have stomach distress from lactose yeah. using collagen proteins. protein is a big one. Collagen. You know, I, what's funny back in the day, call, if you had collagen protein, nobody would buy, want to buy your supplement. It was considered garbage protein. In yes. fact, that a lot of the ready to made drinks that you would get at the gym in the cooler, were collagen. they were collagen and, and the magazines would shit on it. Like you'd open up a magazine and say, Oh, it's got collagen protein. Terrible. Now collagen proteins, like big. the premier expensive protein. I, I, I'm actually coming up with a, with a collagen protein bone broth. Okay. Uh, bone broth protein, which is, you know, the collagen from the bone. Yeah. It yeah. has all these benefits. So we are coming up with a bone broth protein. We are coming up with the greens. That's hilarious. We're That's coming great. up with, you know, so Gaspari is changing, you know, fermented, you know, branch chains. So these are all the products that are coming into the new emergence of the rebirth of, you know, Gaspari yeah. nutrition. If mm. you really look at it, Rich, it's it's the marketing, although it's changed in terms of the channels. This, the fundamentals are the same because back then it was magazines which informed people and then brought value and then they bought your products. Today, it's just articles, blogs, and your website. It's really no different. The difference is it's just delivered. You know, different through, medium, that's all. It's just a different medium. So you know, we talked about like, like our podcast, for example. People aren't reading magazines like they used to, but they maybe will listen to a podcast which will educate them, build value. And then they'll want to buy your product. So it's I, I, I think what you guys are doing is great because you are educating the consumer um, to not just look at marketing and you know hucksters that just sell a product. If you can educate the consumer about the benefits of, of ingredients and, and how they work and what's the efficacious doses of those ingredients, you're gonna help that consumer to make mm -hmm. proper choices and look at the brands that are out there that are doing that. You know, <clears throat> I'm seeing more and more that people wanna have that education. Um there's still the marketing of just, you know, we talked about, you talked about before about a rich piano. Yeah. That was just this extreme of, you know, doing stuff to the extreme. And he, and he had that small segment of people buying the product, but I knew it wouldn't last. I mean, unfortunately the, the, the guy died, mm -hmm. but I, even if he didn't, that type of brand will not last. Mm -hmm. Longevity in a brand, you know, Gaspari Nutrition went through all these why is that you think? Because I agree with you. I think there's a lot of those companies out there right now that I see floating around. I don't know if you watched the, Flash in the, pan. Watched the rise and fall of shreds. I don't yes, know if you saw. Yes, I saw that. Right. And we, we actually called that four years ago when we first started the podcast that, you know, watch this. And, and I think it's fascinating because- They use social media. They, yeah. they were the first to take advantage of Instagram. Yep. Mm -hmm. But what they did wrong is they sold, they actually did this before and after kind of my trick my playbook but what they did is they didn't sell great products no, right. shit. they yeah. sold really low-end products to these people with a high margin and what did it do it was a temporary sale yeah and i would i would always say the most important sale is the second sale if you can get that consumer to come back to buy that product because they get results or they like the taste or they like you know the feeling they get from that product you're going to have a company that's going to stay around like I said, we went through a lot with Gaspari Nutrition through financial difficulties. And, you know, like I said, <clears throat> companies that go through divor uh, divorces or divorces and bankruptcies and, <laughs> and all these different things that happen. Um, knock on wood, I just haven't been to jail or got arrested. So I'm not, I don't want to go that route. You know, I believe that, you know, you can stay and why Gaspari is still around. It's, it's a 20 year old brand. 
that's been around. And my passion was to sell products that worked. Whether they were pro-hormones, they definitely worked. Now it's about selling products that work, that, that have efficacious doses of ingredients, are safe to use, so that that consumer is going to get something at quality, but it's also, they know it's going to be safe in using mm, it. Yeah. Mm. What do you think about uh, Amazon now entering into the supplement market themselves? We're watching this happen. First of all, bodybuilding.com used to be the, one of the biggest body supplement sellers. They're just on a nosedive. Yeah. Amazon obviously taking over. And now Amazon, and, and I've seen Amazon supplements. They're not good yet. No. But shit, if they start making good supplements, I mean, what do you think about that? Well, what you just said is, will they make good supplements? Mm. This is like a big company that has so many right, things different they're worried channels about. that they're making money with. Are they going to focus on the supplement business as part of their growth? I doubt it. I think they're going to sell commodity products to take some of those sales like proteins and creatines and maybe vitamins. Mm. I'm not sure they're going to sit there and have someone that's going to bring in innovation to the no, brands. I, I may be wrong, but no, I Amazon is a huge trillion dollar business that's making money selling diapers. That's and, peanuts. Yeah. To them. That's yeah. Pe but that's here's my theory. My theory is what they'll do. And it goes back to what you were kind of talking about or alluded to earlier is the fear that I would have is eventually what they would do or what I would do if I'm Bezos. I would go over and I would find one of the biggest players that has incredible supplements. Say, for example, you. You blow the company back up. You're making $100, $200 million a year. And I'm Amazon and I go like, oh, we could sit here and put, dump a bunch of money into trying to compete with him or let's go throw $400 million at this guy and see what he does and just fucking make you run the company and now it's under Amazon and that's our product. And like, I would go find somebody who's already already doing great work there that could be it that could be what they could do <laughs> and they have that ability yeah to do when it. you got that kind of money but, you can you yeah. can do that right i mean he could do that because then like i said if they're going to try to do it on their own and all you do is i call them bean counters guys that are looking and saying yeah well these are what's selling here's the protein here's this you need a guy who has the passion but i still think for myself my experiences once i lost control because i've been five years in this limbo state yeah I think it's going to be very hard because mm -hmm. they may still not give that person the creative, right. you know, yeah. way of growing that company. Right. They may say, no, here's what we need you to there'll do. There'll be a lot of red tape. Yeah, there'll yeah. be a lot of red no, tape. No, there's definitely time. I mean, they're, they're too busy building flying cars right now. You yeah. know what I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just think they'll be there, but they're not going to totally take over the mm -hmm. market because I don't think it's going to be everything they want. It's still going to have players like myself, hopefully, that are still trying to innovate between the marketing or products. You know, like I said, we have this new, uh, <clears throat> new people that are coming up that have successful websites that are selling the business. Like I said, is there's channels of people you're going to, before you could have multiple channels to sell to. At one point I was selling to GNC, bodybuilding.com, vitamin shop, mom, pop stores, now it's like you got to focus on one of them. Ah. You can't focus on all of them. You're not you're not going to be a huge GNC brand and also be a huge, you know, brick and mortar brand. Is that just because of how much attention it takes to I, I just think yes, when you sell to multiple channels, they're going to disrupt the market cuz they're all going to compete against oh, each other. Oh, I see. And they're not going to What I, I saw what happened to me is when you have too many channels selling your brand, it just brings down the pricing. Even though you can have all these map enforcements, it just doesn't it doesn't work. Interesting. Wow. So your goal is direct to consumer is probably the biggest 
I think the direct-to-consumer is probably my best way of keeping net profits higher, mm -hmm. building that up to a certain, you know, amount, you know, gross sales that we can do. Continue growing the international sales. Still going after the retail sales. Looking at Amazon as a way to selling it, but even to Amazon, you know, you want to sell, you want to sell direct as a brand. You can give it to some trusted third parties, but whenever you give it to other people to sell, it usually mm. never works. So, so being you were handcuffed now for the last however many years, and now you own majority of the company or you're in control. Mm -hmm. How do you feel? You must feel like a like a like an uncaged lion, <laughs> like new legs. I feel I do feel like an uncaged lion. Um, I'm seeing the difficulties in starting over again. Um, you know. We have a lot of rebuilding. We're in a rebuilding phase right now uh, between rebuilding. If you go to the website right now, we're not going to have it turned on till the 15th of November. Um, <clears throat> we are still having all the legacy products, but when I was handed over the, the brand, I was given very little stock, labels. So I have over, you know, 40 SKUs. I had to start over and make all these products to get them oh. back into stock. And that takes time when you have a manufacturer making, mm. you know, your product and they can only make so much at a time. Right. Uh, labels, I had to get all the labels redone, put on Prop 65 now that has to be put on there. Yeah, you know. everything gives you cancer. <laughs> everything gives you cancer <laughs> that you have on the labels. Um, so it's a rebuilding phase. I definitely feel, you know, fortunate that I was able to get this back into my hands and have control and run the company and grow it. Um, but it's it's going to be a lot of work. Are you going to rebrand to different logo type? Or are you going to keep? We're not state? changing the logo because people recognize the logo. Yeah, the yellow. Um, with the, yeah. Well, actually, it became now blue. Oh, okay. <laughs> the new logo is a blue. It used to be yellow and orange. Now it's it's been blue with the Gaspari with a certain different font, <clears throat> very similar to the old uh, mm -hmm. logo. Just a slight change. We are going to go into different products that we talked about earlier. More into like we're doing bone broth protein. Not that that's going to be the big selling product, but mm -hmm. we're going to offer nootropics, bone broth, protein greens. But then we have the other uh, products that we're going to sell, like an advanced pre-workout that we're you know looking to make right now. And I'm, I'm making a new fat burner. Um, we're going into the functional food market. I believe that's a big part of you know the market as well. So we're doing bars right now and other types of functional foods that we're going to introduce to the market. Man, if I'm a supplement company, uh, you know, right now I would look out for you just cuz you're when I saw you come up through that supplement business, the how smart you were with the way you marketed your products. I mean, if you can apply that to the way things are marketed today, I think you'll I think you'll do just fine. Well, that's the thing. I, you know, I rather have people underestimate me because when I when I went down, people said Gasparri's done. We talked about you know when there's opportunities. My shelf space was like gobbled up by all these different brands between Pro Sups and you know Optimum and Dimatized. Mm. Vroom, they came in like you know like vultures and <laughs> hyenas just taking over my shelf. And you know I want that all back between you know and what I have is I have relationships with a lot of you know the people that were buying my brands mm -hmm. you know between all my international customers. Remember I've been around a long time, so I know a lot. I've been there, you know. I've I've seen that. I've seen a lot of things. So I will use some of my you know old tricks into today's markets. And I wouldn't say tricks, just 
different ways of marketing the brand. I do believe, you know, the way the brand has to be marketed also is organically. Yeah. You know, back then it was like through going to these shows and, you know, selling the brand organically. Now you have social media where you have, you give your product to a bunch of these, you know, like we talked about before, these famous social media um, bodybuilders and women that are out there, mm-hmm. you know, as a mouthpiece for the brand, yeah. you know, pushing the brand. Right using those ways of selling the brand. I, I would love to ask, I love someone like you who's had a, a ton of success, both business and in bodybuilding. You know, can you give me a story of like your, like one of the most epic moments as a bodybuilder for you? Like what was like a, a big, big moment that you'll forever remember? Well, I mean, turning pro was a big, uh, it, it was something memorable to me because um, I was this, guy from New Jersey, you know, unknown guy from New Jersey to move to California. I was a very cocky kid. You know, I was this guy that just thought <laughs> I can, you know, take over the world, you know, and I went into Gold's gym. I saw guys like Tom Platts doing legs and I, anything he that he wrote in the magazines, I mimicked it, did, you know, the reps and the sets and everything because I said, if he could do it, I could do it. Um, so the most memorable moment is like, you know, when I got to turn pro, the winning the Mr. Universe back then it was in Las Vegas. And, you know, it meant a lot to say, you know, you've now got your pro card. Now you are Mr. Universe and you're now professional. A couple months later, I went out to travel. Now, remember, I, I got into the magazines and I was on my way to New Zealand and I was at the airport going to Australia and I was in New Zealand and someone came up to me and said, wow, you're Rich Gaspari. I said, wow, I made it. I'm all the way in the middle of nowhere and this guy recognized who I am. So that's when it was like a moment in my head saying, wow, I'm, I really made it as a bodybuilder because I was a big fan of all these guys. And now I'm one of those guys that people look up mm, to. That's so that's cool. Awesome. And then what about like your business one? Like I, there's gotta be a moment when you were grinding in the basement and then you started to make a little bit of money. And then when was it? Did you buy yourself something special and give yourself something when you finally had made it financially from building that? Do you remember that? Well, those moments of making the million selling Halidrol <laughs> was, <laughs> was, you know, was epic moments. I think also, you know, in transitioning, because, you know, I told you I sold these pro hormones and people said that I was going to be a flash in a pan as a brand. And then we started selling these non-hormonal products. You know, basically I used the funding from the pro hormones to grow the brand. You know, when I was winning, you know, awards with GNC as brand of the year, two years in a row against brands like Muscle Tech, um, I felt that I made it. And I was like, wow, I, I'm, I'm this brand, you know, this kid from New Jersey that started this brand in my mom's basement. And now I'm winning, you know, these brand of the year awards, mm-hmm. you know, from huge brands that I looked up to like Muscle Tech, by the way, who sold three quarters of the brand for $750 million. So there's a lot of really? money. Yeah, a Holy lot of money. cow. Do you do you you still follow bodybuilding? You're still pretty. I follow the top bodybuilders. If mm-hmm. you say you know like Sean Roden, I think it was a great you know it was really great for him to win because you know you had Phil Heath, who they thought was just gonna go right into winning eight Mr. Olympias and beating Lee Haney's record and Ronnie Coleman's record, going to the show. <clears throat> He had problems with his abdominal region, mm-hmm. which I, I don't know what, you know, I think he had a, a hernia that just maybe they didn't prepare, they didn't repair properly. But when you saw Sean Roden, he wasn't the biggest guy. He had this like- Great waistline. Great waistline, symmetry. It's like, it wasn't just a mass monster. It was someone that had 
a combination of everything. I felt like Phil was, he's a great bodybuilder, but he just got too big. Mm -hmm. That look to me, I mean, he was better four or five years ago, you know, than he is today. I 100% agree. What's your all-time favorite bodies in bodybuilding besides yourself of course right? you can't say yourself well, I've never was a you know fan of myself since <laughs> I was a hard-working guy I mean I still look up to Lee Haney because he was a guy he was just a very spiritual guy you know he helped me like when I moved to California I had nowhere to live this guy took me in to be his training partner and when we were preparing for the show he was the one who like that's great taught me taught me how to train properly that I went from this powerlifting physique to a bodybuilder. He's the one to help me with that. So I have to give him credit for my successes. And then I was nipping at his toes. You know, he won eight Mr. Olympias, but what's great about him is when he won those eight Mr. Olympias, he retired, never competed again. Ronnie Col Coleman, who I, you know, commend winning the same amount of Mr. Olympias, he didn't, you know, he didn't retire. He, he came away. back, he lost, then he tried to come back again, he lost. So it kind of tarnished that record of those eight Mr. Olympias where Lee Haney, he went into bodybuilding, only lost one pro show, you know, the first Mr. Olympia. Well, he, he lost a couple pro shows at the beginning, but once he won Mr. Olympia, that was it. Dominated. nonstop, dominated, won all the shows, retired undefeated. So, I mean, that, that's, mm. and he knew when to get out because he knew the Dorian Yates era was coming mm. and he was <laughs> not going to go against that. Do, do you think, because there's like a, some people say that pros today don't train as hard as they used as the guys used they to train. They don't. Is train. that true? You think that's true? <laughs> I definitely. You're like the third or fourth guy that's. I told, definitely yeah. listen. I'm in my 50s and I can still kick anybody's. 20, <laughs> 20 <year -old>. <laughs> I go in the gym and I challenge Ooh, them to shade. a leg workout. I still do giant sets. I still use, and I don't even use as much weight as I used to use. But the bodybuilders today do not train as hard. I, I just don't see them. There are few that do. But the majority don't. They're afraid of getting hurt. They're afraid. They don't push their body. Do you think that's because they're relying too much on the drug culture now? I don't know if it's drugs or it's just this culture of carefully how they train. And it's not necessary to push your body to the limit. I mean, you got to remember, I pushed my body to the limit where, like I said, I herniated discs, <laughs> tore muscles. I did whatever I could. These guys are being so careful in how they train. I can't say it's all drugs because I I see guys that really work. You know, they work hard. They diet. Um, but just, you don't you don't hear about these these because I you know I'd read the the old, how you guys used to train and even how Arnold used to train, and you guys were in the gym for two and a half three hours just doing insane amounts of volume and sets and failure and I mean you'd have to be a, a just a genetic freak to even be able to heal from those kinds of workouts. And the guys now, from when I when I read about them or hear about them, it's like they're in there forty five minutes an hour. It's yep. it's a different level of intensity. Uh, it just seems a lot different. I mean, you guys were you guys would go in there and just kill yourself six days a week, twice a day. We'd have our morning workout. Say it was like yeah, double split routines. Double, Nobody double does split. them anymore. No double splits. Um, my midday, I would practice my posing for two hours. I mean, people don't even look at posing. No. I mean, it is slowly coming back because Arnold made a statement that nobody poses anymore. Mm -hmm. And now you see people, bodybuilders posing this new classic physique, which I think is really a great look. It's the look that we looked like back in our day Agreed. is coming back. But people still want to see the freaks. Um, <clears throat> but you're right. I, I'm not sure that it's, see, to stay that big, you can't train six days a week twice a day double splits so these guys now are training 45 minutes 
five days a week, and it's preventing them from losing that muscle. Sure. Um, well, because they're, they're si- the size is just extreme. These guys yeah. are 300 pounds. You know, it doesn't, it's totally and different. I, I just think the way, you know, the way they eat. I mean, back then, you know, I would eat, you know, 5,000 calories. Some of these guys are eating eight to 10,000 calories. Holy cow. They're loading just tons of food. I think there's a, a there's a better genetic pool. There's more people in it, so you're going to get a better genetic pool. Agreed. Back then, it was a lot of guys were 90 pound weaklings and got into mm-hmm. training to have a you know right. to look good. Now you have athletes that are getting into bodybuilding mm-hmm. and becoming. This. Oh yeah, when you look at Phil Heath, Kai Green, uh, I mean, who else was? I mean, Flex. A lot of these guys, you look at them before they even grabbed the iron. They, they already mus- they already looked yeah. great. They yeah, already looked muscular. Yeah. yeah, I was that skinny kid that got into the gym. So you know, you have a different genetic pool. Do they have to work as hard? Not really. They have great genetics. Yeah. I told you, Lee Haney. I I worked out so hard. I'm not saying he in today's time he worked out really hard, but he never worked out as hard as me. You know, because right. he didn't have to. Right. You got guys with great genetics that don't have to work out as hard because right. they got great genetics. I don't think it's, you know, I'm not going to say they're not taking drugs, but it's not just the drugs. It's no, that's genetic. a good point. That's probably more, it's probably more of that. It's probably more that, you know, we, we're starting to figure that out. Uh, and just like we are in other, other sports. I mean, basketball players tend to all look like basketball players now. Soccer players, where when the sport first started, you know, just people that were passionate about it. Who cares about what you look like genetically? We're starting to figure. Well, it out. I mean, you you go back even well, even early '80s. You had people like Frank Zane, who looked totally different from a bodybuilder like Arnold Schwarzenegger, with completely different physiques. Um, you know, one thing too that I noticed that's really changed quite a bit with with bodybuilding training is, you know, back when you were training. You guys all hit your body. You did double split routines. Nobody does a double split routine anymore. And for the listeners who have no idea what I'm talking about, you work out twice a day. Twice a so day. you'd work out. And the reason why you'd work out twice a day is because you were doing 20 sets or more per body part, yep. but you were training each body part three days a week. Yep. You guys were doing a lot of frequency. Yeah. Now, the irony of that, Rich, is funny because now we got all these studies that are coming out showing how you need to work out to build maximum muscle. And I learned this as a personal trainer that – Ideally, even if you take the same amount of volume, when you train your body parts more frequently, you build more muscle. Now, this may not be tr- necessarily true for the super genetically gifted or even people on lots of anabolics, but training your muscles frequently just builds more muscle. You guys are training your whole body at least three days a week, but yes. you, the only way you could fit that all in a workout, because you were doing like 20-something sets per body part, yeah. double split, yeah, morning to, and night. You have to train, like you said, like shoulders in the morning, arms in the evening, you know, or, you know, abs every day. Right. You know, abs were done every day. Calves were done every other day or almost every day, you know, that I would train them. Um, you're right. You have to train your body. You would do your whole body. Would, no, it was basically, it was a six-day routine. Mm-hmm. Um, training your body parts twice a week. Oh, yeah, you twice a week. Twice a week. yeah. yeah. So each Arnold was part, the one that did it. He did three days <laughs> towards the end there. Yeah, towards the yeah. end. But I thought it was a little too much for me. <laughs> so I did twice a week. And now people just train once a week, yeah. body part once a week. Right. They, they do their whole body in five days. You know, guys are competing doing just once a week. And I was like, that's off-season training for me. That's not pre-contest <laughs> training. You know, but I didn't know that what you said with studies showing that. But it, it also made a different physique. If you look at what we looked like and and. Guys, like, I was trying to get bigger, and when I was getting bigger, I was seeing my symmetry just not looking the same, like my obliques were thicker. Mm. When I competed, I had to keep my waist at a certain size. So if I gained too much upper body mass, my obliques would naturally grow. Mm. So I would not train. I would make sure I would be at a certain body weight, 
And if I got myself too big, I noticed that I just didn't look right. Mm. Well, and, and But today, it doesn't matter. They can be thicker. You look at guys, their waists look thicker, mm-hmm. much thicker. You know, when you look at them backstage, some of these guys have like pot look like bellies. they're pregnant. Yeah, they look pregnant. And when they're hitting poses, they're hitting their back from the front. You see these big mm. guts. It's just so much muscle. Wow. Well, yeah. If you're if you're listening right now and you you know you're not familiar with uh, Rich Gaspari, just Google some of his back shots. I mean, there were really set the standard for uh, I, I definition and conditioning. Christmas tree, strided glutes, hamstrings, uh, absolutely insane. Uh, pleasure. Been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, Rich. man. Good time. Very enjoyable. Yeah. Very, yeah. very happy you came in. Thank you yeah, very much. No, thank you for bringing me here all the way from New Jersey. Right on, man. <laughs> Appreciate the it. West Coast. Good thank having you. you here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.